Southwest Baptist Church. Man, what a joy to be with you all this morning. I'm so grateful for you, Pastor, Brother Dwayne. We've been friends for a long time. And I know you all are grateful for him as well, aren't you? You've got a wonderful pastor. Loves Jesus, loves you, and seeking to lead you to be a gospel impact in this community and in the world, man. Praise the Lord for godly men like Brother Dwayne. I serve at the Kentucky Baptist Convention. I am your regional consultant. That just means I get to spend time with pastors like Duane and others and churches, trying to be an encouragement, maybe provide resources, do training if that's required. But it's just my honor to be a servant to the churches of what we call the North Central region. On up northern Kentucky, down to Berea, kind of Mount Sterling on the east, and several counties there on the western edge mark my territory. And we just want you to know that, man, the big deal for the Kentucky Baptist Convention is not in Middletown where the convention office is. The big deal is Red House Baptist Churches and about 2,400 other Baptist churches that have decided that we can do more together than we can separately. And because you give and you pray through the cooperative program, you're helping to keep about 3,600 international missionaries on foreign fields. In some cases, where the name of Jesus has been not even been named yet. Uh, there's a gospel witness there. And you're, you're about to give to Annie Armstrong. Thank you for that. 2,500 North American missionaries sharing the gospel. You know, uh, as a Southern Baptist Convention, we, we, we've had some challenges. That's newsflash, that's not a new thing. And if the Lord tarries, we'll probably have a few more before it's over. But for me, I was able to go to the Southern Baptist Convention last year in Anaheim, California. And for me, the highlight was that when they opened the convention, and we, meaning you and I and the rest of the Southern Baptist Convention, we commissioned 52 brand new international missionaries to go to places around the world and share the gospel. And it was kind of cool how they did it. They'd have a couple or an individual on this side of the stage, and they would introduce themselves and talk about where they're going, and then they'd have another couple or individual on this side of the stage, and they would share who they were and where they were going. I say they would share who they were and where they were going. About half of them were able to do that. The other half had to be hidden behind screens, and they couldn't give their real name, and they couldn't talk about where they're going. Because where they're going, it's dangerous to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But you know what? They've already died to themselves, and they're serving Jesus. They're living for King Jesus. And they're going to go to that place because he's worthy. He's called them, and he's worthy. And I just want to share with you all, you have a part in sending those folks to places where people need to know our Jesus. Thank you for that. We don't take lightly this partnership. If you have your copy of God's Word, I invite you to turn to Acts uh, chapter 17. And Man, I'm so grateful and, and pumped that you all are really emphasizing evangelism. Man, that's something we ought to be doing all the time in the church. Amen? Uh, but I'm so grateful uh, that your pastor and other leaders have, have seen fit to lead you uh, in this gospel evangelism uh, uh, leadership uh, mobilization. I, I, I think of who's your one, and I think about a church where I was privileged to be the interim pastor at uh, in Louisville a couple years ago. And when I got there, I said, uh, "Would you all be open to doing who's your one at this church?" And they said, "Yeah, we'd be open to that." Talked to some leaders about it, staff, and I said, "Okay." So I met with some leaders on a Wednesday night. And I explained to him what it was. Hey, we're going we're gonna to identify one lost person in our lives. We're going to pray for that person every day. In our, in our, in our instance, it was to pray for 30 days. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they continue beyond that, but the emphasis was 30 days. You're going to pray every day for them. You're going to seek to invite them to church, and you're going to seek to have a gospel conversation with that person. I said, that's what it is. Uh, and so this group of leaders, probably about 15 people, I said, would you all be interested and, and would you be willing to say, yes, we'll do that? And they said, yeah, we'll do that. And so I had them identify their one in that room. And I said, now, 
In a week and a half, on a Sunday morning, I'm going to explain to the congregation what I just shared with you. We're going to launch Who's Your One as a congregation. I said, at the end of that message, I'm going to invite everybody who's willing to come down to fill out a Who's Your One card, tear it in half. They would keep half. The other half, I'm going to ask them to lay it on the altar. And if you're able to, to kneel down and pray over that card, and that will be the launch of it. I, I said, does that make sense? They said, yeah. I said, okay, now you know how this goes. When you give an invitation like that, it might be crickets, right? And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do as leaders. Would you all, at least you all, be willing to, to come forward and lay your card on the altar? They say, we'll do it. And so a week and a half later on Sunday morning, I, I shared just what I, I shared with you with the congregation. At the end, I gave them that opportunity, not knowing what would happen. You know, about 167 people got out of their chairs and came down front. Some of them had to wait to get to the altar because it was packed. And some of them knelt down and prayed over their cards. And there were some tears shed that morning. And you know what? Some people got saved as a result of Christians mobilizing for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. So I want to say to you all, I'm so excited for you and what you're trying to do to reach the community and beyond for Christ. In Acts chapter 17, we see the Apostle Paul, what I would call, he, he gets into the mess. He's getting into the mess. He's in Athens, and uh, he's arrived, but he's, as Warren Wearsby said, he's not there uh, as a sightseer. He's there as a soul winner. Uh, and he's walking around Athens, and, and, but instead of being wowed by the city of Athens, uh, he is singularly focused on getting the good news to these people who've never even heard the name of Jesus. And so let's pick it up in Acts 17, verse 16. The Bible says this, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was deeply distressed when he saw that the city was full of idols. Hey, let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your people gathered in your name. Lord, we've, we've sought to declare your praise through these songs and how wonderful it is to, to tell you how much we love you by declaring it in song. And, and now pr I pray, Father, that you would give us grace to hear your word preached. Lord, I pray that you would challenge each one of us with the truth of your word and then, Lord, would you enable us by the power of your Holy Spirit to live out what you give us this morning through your word. Lord, may the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul was there in Athens, and he's waiting for the mission team that he had left in, in Berea to come and catch up with him. Uh, and he sees that there's a city full of idols. I mean, literally it means to be covered in idols. People say that there were more idols in Athens than there were men in Athens. Thousands, literally thousands of idols uh, in that city. And the Bible says he's deeply distressed. Uh, it's kind of a mixture of grief and holy anger that fills Paul's heart. You see, he knows that these people are being deceived. They're worshiping these idols which aren't God and can't save and can't heal and can't do the things that only God can do. And you and I need to know that when you carry the gospel to your neighbors and into this community that there are people just like the people in Athens who are consumed by idolatry. Now, most of them probably aren't in, in, in doing idolatry in terms of some crude worship of a stone or a wooden figure or, you know, an, an, an idol that sits on a, on a shelf somewhere, although some people still do that. Maybe their idolatry is maybe more sophisticated than that, but it's idolatry nonetheless. People still worship pleasure, don't they? People worship power and prestige. Some people worship education or science, man. I, I, listen, I'm, I'm grateful for science. Science, when it stays in its lane, can do a world of good for, for people, can it? Uh, 
but we should see from this pandemic, if we didn't already know it, that science has its shortcoming, doesn't it? It's not infallible. Uh, science makes a lousy God. Uh, but people still will worship at the idol of things like that. And we know as believers that, man, that's a false God. That's a God that can't save. See, the one thing that science and nothing else in this world or of this world can do, that one thing that it can't do is fix the number one problem of humanity. The number one problem of humanity is lostness. People are lost without Jesus. And it's because of their sin and nothing and no one except for Jesus can fix that problem. Do you agree with that this morning? Amen. And so Paul is there and, and uh, he, he's ready to, to give the gospel to the people of Athens. And although it doesn't say it explicitly here, it's hard to imagine that Paul doesn't cry out to God, please, Father, have mercy on these people. Lord, would you bless your servant as I go into this city? And God, would you give me an opportunity to, to communicate the gospel with people who need to know my Jesus. It's hard to imagine Paul didn't take time to pray. Man, if you're going to, listen, if you're going to set out to try and reach people for Jesus, you better pray. <laughs> you better put on the full armor of God in prayer. And then you better ask God, Lord, would you just uh, give me the power of the Spirit to carry out this task. I can't do it by myself. I'll fail every time. I need you, Lord. When we pray in desperation, man, that's fertile soil for God to use that person uh, as a faithful witness for the sake of the gospel. So Paul is in Athens, but then we see that he, he goes into the marketplace and he gives an example for us to follow. If we're going to reach people for Jesus, listen, we got to go where they are. Uh, there used to be a day in Kentucky. Now, I've been in Kentucky, it'll be 30 years this July 1st. I'm originally from Michigan. Don't hold that against me, please, or tune me out. Uh, but uh, we moved uh, on our anniversary, July 1st, 1993, to Kentucky so I could go to seminary. Mom said I came to go to school and forgot to come home. But we've been here for 30 years, and I tell people I need to buy that bumper sticker. I wasn't born in Kentucky, but I got here as quick as I could. <laughs> we are so grateful to be in Kentucky. But there was a day in Kentucky churches where you could put the sign out in front and say, hey, you all come. We got a big event coming up, revival or whatever. And, and a lot of the people in the community would come, wouldn't they? But can I tell you, those days are over. And if we're going to reach people, we got to go where they are and get the gospel where they are. And isn't that what Jesus meant all along when he said, go and make disciples of all nations. You and I are called to go where they are. And so Paul's provoked. He sees this city consumed with idols. And he goes back and he hangs out in the, in the, in the hotel room, right? Hunkered down, trying not to get noticed. Is that what he did? No, that's not what he did, okay? Just want to make sure you're still tracking with me. That's not what he did at all. Some of y'all may have fallen asleep. I've heard this. I haven't, I haven't been able to verify it, but I've heard that if you were to take all the people who have fallen asleep in church on any given Sunday, all around the world, if you were to take all those people and lay them end to end, they'd be a whole lot more comfortable, wouldn't they? That's what, that's what I've heard. Now, I just, hey, I want to make sure y'all were still tracking. That's not what he did at all. Let's pick back up in verse 17. Here's what Paul did. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with those who worshiped God as well as in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also debated with him. Some said, what is this ignorant show-off trying to say? Others replied, he seems to be a preacher of foreign deities because he is telling them the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to the Oropagus and said, May we learn about this new teaching you are presenting. Because what you say sounds strange to us. And we want to know what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners residing there spent their time on nothing else 
but telling or hearing something new. So Paul decides, I've got to get the gospel to these people. He goes to the synagogue and he shares the gospel with the Jews or those that had been converted to Judaism. And then he goes into the marketplace where people were gathered, where they're coming and going, where you know, commerce is taking place, where businessmen and women are there and, and, and the community is gathering. And, and Paul goes into the middle of that. And he starts sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And he's sure to include the resurrection, right? If you read the the book of Acts, you'll see that over and over again. When when they talked about the gospel, they included the resurrection, right? Because that's what made all the difference, right? If we serve a, a Savior who just died but wasn't raised, then man, Paul says we're to be pitied above every other man. But Jesus is raised to new life. And because he lives, you and I can live. And because he lives, he's worthy of us to go and carry this gospel message to other people so that they can live. And so Paul is reasoning with people, with Jews and, and, and those that have been converted to Judaism and, and the Greeks, telling them, urging them, believe in Jesus and the good news. You know, whenever you and I have a witnessing opportunity... Maybe it will start with a conversation like about the cats, right? Uh, they're playing today, I believe, right? And that, yes, y'all know, you all know they're playing it. It is today, right? That's exciting. And that's where the conversation might start. But man, we got to move the conversation from the cats to Christ. We got to seek to, to by, the, by the grace of God, with the Spirit's leadership, to move that conversation from temporal things to eternal things. Someone once shared with me uh, the acronym FACE. If you're ever wondering, how do I kind of transition a gospel conversation? Well, FACE is a way. First, uh, F is for family. Everybody's got a family, right? For, For better or for worse, everybody's got a family. Any grandparents here in the room? All right, I've got three sons. Two of them are married. One's been married almost three years. The other one almost eight years. No grandkids yet. I'm going, what are we doing here? But some of y'all are grandkids. Do you you have a hard time talking about your grandchildren? I mean, you go from zero to grandbaby in under a second, right? And you whip out that phone and you'll start flipping through pictures. Man, people have family and, you know, if, if we'll just be patient and ask questions, they'll talk about their family. How about A is, is for activities. Hey, what do you like to do when you're having fun? Oh, you're a hunter or you ride motorcycles or you like to do crafts. Okay, that kind of, maybe you can find some common ground there. A is for activities. C is for church and career. Where do you work? Oh, do you have a church home? Like a lot of times when I'm at a restaurant and the waitress or waiter comes to the table, one of the first things I'll say, I borrowed this from Dr. Matt Queen, who's the professor of evangelism down at Southwestern Theological Seminary, Baptist Theological Seminary, uh, and I'll say, has anyone told you Jesus loves you yet today? And they'll look at me like sometimes like, you're strange. And sometimes they'll say, no, no one has. I'll say, you mean I get to be the first one? They say, yeah, I guess you are. I said, I'm so excited to be able to tell you Jesus loves you today. And then if they come back to the table, uh, I'll say, hey, we're going to pray over this meal. Is there anything we can pray for you about? Any family things that we can pray about? How about work? Is there anything in, in your work that we can pray about? Anything else? And sometimes they'll say, no, I'm good. And sometimes you'll start to see tears come down their cheek. And they'll say, I'm so glad you asked that. This is what's going on in my life right now. And if the Lord allows, then, man, a lot of times that can turn into a gospel conversation. That's E is for eternity. And we always pray that wherever we start in a conversation, we can move it to Jesus in matters of eternity. Because you all know what's true, right? This life is like a vapor, the Bible describes it. Strike a match, blow it out, there'll be some smoke for just a few seconds, and then it's gone. And the Bible says that's like 
our lives. They're so brief. I, I'm, I just turned 60 years old. I can remember like when I was a kid, and I think about someone who was 60 years old. I'm going, shh, they're practically dead. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think that way anymore. But this life's moving fast, isn't it? Man, and, and when you're young, you think, Man, I'm going to live forever, but it, it's moving fast. And eternity is forever. And every person will spend eternity in one of two places, either heaven or hell. And what they do with Jesus is the sole determining factor in which of those two places they spend eternity. Heaven or hell. And so we've got to, with urgency, get into the mess and share the gospel message. These men kind of mock Paul, don't they? They say, what is this, what is this babbler saying? Kind of like a, the picture is of a, a bird kind of picking seed off the ground. And, and they're saying, you're like a, like a seed-picking bird. You're a babbler. This doesn't make any sense. And let's just remember that they had never heard the gospel. Uh, you and I, we, we've heard it, many of us, for, for many years. In our, maybe your whole life you've heard the gospel. They had never heard it. Somebody said that too many churches have an Acts 2 approach to evangelism in an Acts 17 world. See, in Acts chapter 2, remember, Peter stood up. They were, the Holy Spirit had fallen on those first few believers, and the church was born, and Peter stood up, and he boldly proclaimed Christ to those Jews that were gathered there, and he used lots of Old Testament references, didn't he? Because he knew they knew the Bible. It was, it was Acts chapter 2. He's talking to, to, to Jewish people. They, they knew the Word of God. But in Acts chapter 17, Paul begins to engage people in Athens who have never heard the gospel. Paul was speaking to a pre-Christian world, but you and I live in a post-Christian world where most of the people that you and I encounter have little to no knowledge of who Jesus really is. And when I was in fourth grade in, in uh, Maples Elementary School up there in Dearborn, Michigan, where I'm from, I had a teacher, Mrs. Martin. Sometimes she would like to dismiss us creatively for recess or lunch. So sometimes she would say, okay, let's line up today by birth month. And so if it was March, she'd say, okay, all the March birthdays, you line up. And then she'd go around the calendar. Or sometimes she'd say, let's line up from tallest to shortest, or vice versa. One time she said, hey, we're going to line up creatively today. She said, I, I want you to line up by church denomination. Now, this is, this, is, this is Michigan, right? People from Michigan are strange when they meet each other. They hold their hand up because it looks like a mitten, and they'll point. This is where I'm from. This is Michigan. This wasn't the Bible Belt. And she'd never done that before. But she started calling off church denominations. And I, I'm sure she called off Baptist and Catholic and Methodist and whatever, Episcopalian. I'm sure she called, you know, denominations like that off. But I was having a hard time focusing because I wasn't raised in church. My family never went to church, never once. My parents never went. I went a few times with some friends to different churches, but I, I had no church background. And so I, I'm sweating bullets. I'm going, what am I going to say? So she got down to me and my friend, John Demetrio. And she says to John, she said, well, what are you? And he said, I'm Greek Orthodox. She said, okay, get in line, John. She said, Andy, what are you? And I thought, I'll lie. I'll say it. I'm an optometrist. I mean, I didn't know, I, I didn't know what to say. So I finally just said, I'm nothing. And I could see she was shocked. And then she saw it embarrassed me, but she, and she didn't mean to do that. She said, oh, that's okay, Andy. Go ahead. Get in line. Get in line. Now, if a teacher did that today, <laughs> first of all, they might get in some serious trouble, right? And second of all, in most places in our country today, that will be turned on its head. Most of the children have no connection no vital connection to any church family anywhere. Why? Because most of their mommies and daddies have no connection to any church anywhere. 
You see, we live in a post-Christian world. Our world today is more like Acts 17 than Acts chapter 2. And God is calling you and I to go into our communities and share the gospel. So Paul gets invited to the Areopagus. Uh, and, and while he's there, he's not going to waste his time. It says at verse 21, the Athenians spend their time on nothing else but telling or hearing something new. And again, that's not like on our day today, is it? Often, if you watch the news, it's one crisis after another. The shelf life is probably less than 24 hours on the crisis. And then our world is on to the next crisis. And they were, that's what they were interested in, something new that could tickle their ears but you know Paul warns in Colossians chapter 2 verse 8 he says this be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition based on elements of the world rather than Christ see these Epicureans they were the pleasure seekers their kind their slogan would have been if it feels good do it they were living for pleasure the Stoics man uh, they were they were just just staunchly trying to be moral people. Uh, and if, you know, if, if, if morality, if trying to be a moral person could save you, they, they'd probably qualify. But the Bible says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There is no one good, not even one. They thought they were, but they weren't. And so these groups, these two different groups, along with other kinds of philosophical schools, were gathered there with Paul at the Oropagus. And Paul begins to share. Let's pick it back up. He's in the Oropagus. And when you're in, a, you're in a witnessing situation, share what you know. Here's what he does. Verse 22. Paul stood in the middle of the Oropagus and said, People of Athens, I see you are extremely religious in every respect. For as I was passing through and observing the objects of your worship, I even found an altar on which was inscribed to an unknown God. Therefore... What you worship in ignorance, this I proclaim to you. So it's a, it's a pin drop moment, isn't it, for the Apostle Paul. All eyes were on him. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you about the living God. What would you say in a pin drop moment like that? If you've lived long enough, you've had them. Maybe it's in the workplace and someone says, hey, you're a Christian. What do you think about fill in the blank? Or maybe it's your children even around a table and, and they're wondering, mommy, daddy, I, I've had this feeling in my heart. I, I'm, I'm wondering if maybe I should be saved. And they're looking to you for an answer. Eventually, if, you, if we live long enough, we'll have a pin drop moment where all eyes are on us. And what will we say in that moment? So Paul starts with something from their world, doesn't he? He says, I see you're religious people. Now, he wasn't commending them for it. He was just observing that. Uh, there was not an absence of worship in Athens, was there? It was just directed at Things that weren't God. They were worshiping, but they were just worshiping false gods. I see you're religious. You know, most of the world is religious today. And the sad truth about it is that religion can't save anyone, can it? There's a lot of people going to miss heaven by 18 inches, right? The distance from here to here. There's a lot of people that maybe, maybe know even right things about God. But they've never trusted in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so here Paul is. All eyes are on him. And he begins to share with them the gospel message. Verse 30. Therefore, we're going to skip down just for the sake of time. Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has set a day when he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. And has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. See, Paul started with this unknown God. 
he says to them, I've noticed that among all of the, the gods in this, in this town, you've had one with this inscription to the unknown God. So in other words, they've kind of had like this coverall God. In case we've missed one, we've got the unknown God. And Paul says, I'm going to tell you who that is. And he begins to lay out for them what God has done, how God in His mercy has overlooked these, these ignorance, these, these times of ignorance, how God has planted every people group where He sovereignly wanted them to be. By the way, I believe God has planted Red House Baptist Church where He sovereignly wanted this church to be. You are not here by accident. You are here because God designed for you to be here to carry the gospel to your community and beyond. And so Paul says, this God, the one who made everything, he alone is God. And he's overlooked these times of ignorance, these idols that you all worship. But now he's commanding everyone everywhere, it's time to repent. To place your faith and trust in Jesus, the resurrected Savior and King. You know, when it talks about the resurrection, we should, we should have confidence in knowing that the resurrection of Jesus from the dead is all the proof that anyone should ever need to know that the gospel is true. When Jesus came out of that grave, like he said he would, he proved that he is who he said he is, Jesus is Lord. The resurrection proves that Jesus is Lord. And it proves that there is salvation in no other name. There's no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. The resurrection proves that he is who he said he is. And he can do what he said he can do. Jesus and Jesus alone can raise a dead person to new life. And if you've walked into this room this morning, or you're watching online, and you've never trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, good news for you. He brought you here so that you could hear the gospel and that you could be saved this morning if you'll cry out to Him, Jesus, I'm turning from my sin. I believe you died for me and rose again. And I'm inviting you to be my Lord and Savior. See, Paul, in this pin drop moment, all eyes on him, he gave people what? The truth. The gospel truth. And listen, when you and I share the gospel, uh, we can expect that we're going to get one of three responses, right? Every time. We're going to get a red light response or a yellow light response or a green light response. Every single time, mark it down. When you share the gospel with some people, you might get a red light response. It is what it sounds like. That person's going to say what? Stop. I don't want to hear that. And it might be, it might be a strong red light response, right? Like they might say, wait, you're one of those Christians? You... And they might just, just you know, lay into you. And, and they might say something like, you Christians, you're what's wrong, you hypocrites, blah, blah, blah. They might just, a strong red light response. Is that a possibility when we share the gospel? You better believe it is. But you know what? Even if you get a red light response, Jesus is still worthy, isn't he? <laughs> Didn't Jesus say, blessed are you when men persecute you and revile you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for what? Great is your reward in heaven. If you get a red light response, you can know I've been faithful, Lord. And you might say something to that person like, hey, I didn't mean, to, I wasn't trying to offend you, but if you ever find yourself in a place where you want to talk more about this, I'd be glad to talk with you about it. And, and you're not going to argue someone into, the, into heaven, right? So take them at face value when you get a red light response. But the one thing they can't stop you from doing, you pray for them. Pray for them. Well, red light response. How about a yellow light response? That means slow down. 
I'm interested, but I have some questions. A yellow light response. And if you get a yellow light response, praise the Lord. The goal there is to extend the conversation. Well, was there something about what I shared that you didn't understand? Or, no, no, it made sense, but I just need some time to think about it. Okay, hey, can we meet for coffee and set up an appointment with them? While the iron's hot, you try and extend that conversation. Invite them to be your guest at church. You know, hey, say, we've got this Bible study class, Sunday school class, and I'd love for you to be my guest. You can come there, and we, we just open God's word, and you can ask your questions. No one will judge you. You'll be among friends. Would you be my guest at church? A yellow light response, you're trying to extend the conversation. And then a green light response is, you know what? I've been thinking about God a lot in my life. And here you are today telling me about Jesus and the way to be saved. I think I would like to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And you'll say, wait, what did you say? You'll say, well, let me call Brother Dwayne. No, don't call Brother Dwayne. You can do this. Amen. You got the Holy Spirit of God. You're a child of God. You lead him to Jesus. Man, that's what we pray for, isn't it? Every time we share the gospel, we pray that we might get that green light response. Well, Paul gets all three of those in, in his, his experience here at the Oropagus. Let's finish out verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection from the dead, of the dead, some began to ridicule him. Is that a red light? Yep. But others said, we'd like to hear you again about this. They were curious, like maybe they were interested. That's a yellow light response, isn't it, right there? Verse 33, so Paul left their presence. However, some people joined him and believed, including Dionysius, the Oropagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Paul got into the mess, and really, he was risking his life. It wasn't unheard of. If, if enough people didn't like what you said at the Oropagus, they'd kill you on the spot. Paul got into the mess. See, he'd already died to himself, and he shared the gospel. And some people believed. We'll see him in heaven, amen, brothers and sisters in Christ. But now it's our turn, isn't it? It's our turn. And I just want to finish this message by sharing with you what I believe is the first gospel-sharing tool that God gives to every believer. The first one. It's not the only one, but it's the first one. And that is your story. Your story of how God saved you. I'm going to share it with you real quick, my story. I mentioned I was born and raised in Dearborn, Michigan. That's Henry Ford's hometown, if that helps you. That's where Ford Motor Company headquarters is. Uh, There's three high schools. One is Dearborn. The other one is Etzel Ford. And the third one is Fordson, F-O-R-D-S-O-N, which is what Ford used to call their tractors. That was my high school. My high school, Fortson High School today, is 90 plus percent Arabic. I often say if the International Mission Board wants to see how to reach the Middle East, spend 30 minutes on my mom's front porch in Dearborn, Michigan. That's the place I was raised in. My father was a World War II veteran, drove a truck, took care of us, but he was an alcoholic. And when my dad came home drunk, it was, it got ugly. He was, he'd be angry and He'd throw stuff, and he'd cuss and carry on. And my mom never drank, but neither of them were believers. And we would celebrate Christmas and Easter, but not by going to church. It was about Santa Claus for the Easter Bunny. That was the family that I was being raised in. And you know, if you've been raised in an alcoholic's home, you know that it really is like having an elephant in the middle of the room, and you hope you don't wake the elephant up because if it got woke up, it would get ugly. And so at a young age, as a young teenager, I started to follow my older brothers down the path of drugs and alcohol. And listen, I'm not, I'm not proud of that. I'm just telling you my story. And I remember in 11th grade, 
some friends and I skipped school and we drove to the University of Michigan campus. It was about 45 minutes away. And by the way, don't do this. I'm just telling you my story, okay? Every year on April 1st at the University of Michigan campus, they have this thing called the Hash Bash. Now, this was not an officially sanctioned University of Michigan event, okay? It just started with, and what it was was a, a couple thousand college students were gathering a common place on campus, and a lot of them would sit around and smoke pot. And I guess sort of the law would look the other way on that day. And so my friends and I, we were high school kids, and we're there with college students, and we're looking, we're going, we're, we're thinking, look at us. Man, we're cool. We're partying with college students. We're big stuff. And I watched this guy walking from group to group. He was short. He had pinstripe bibbed overalls on. He had a little book in his hand. And he walked up to our group, and he said, guys, listen, God loves you, and Jesus died on a cross to prove that God loves you. But if you don't give your heart and life to Jesus, when you die, you're going to go to hell. Now, Jesus died so you wouldn't have to go there, but you need to know that's the truth. He said things like that lasted about 60 seconds total. My friends started to laugh at him, and I started to laugh at him too. But my laughter was on the outside because on the inside, his words tore me up. I had no idea what was going on on the inside of me. I found out later after I got saved that was the Holy Spirit convicting me of my sin and drawing me to the Father. And some people say, well, that guy was kind of harsh with you all, wasn't he? I'd say, nope. Man, if you're going to get into the mess like that, you better be pretty direct with people in that situation. Here's what I want to say. I can't wait to find that guy when I get to heaven one day and thank him for having the guts to be out there that day. As far as I could tell, he was the only Christian that was out there. He got ridiculed by every single group. I can't wait to tell him, you know what? God used you to plant a seed of the gospel in my heart. Well, I I finished 11th grade, started parking cars at a local hotel. I was a valet, and uh, there was a doorman there that worked at that hotel. His name was Chuck, and Chuck told me that he was a born-again believer, that he had a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus. I felt myself drawn to Chuck. Like, when I'd come into work, I'd want to talk to him. I'd ask him questions about what that meant. And I appreciated, if he didn't know, he'd be honest. He'd say, that's a good question, Andy. I don't know. I'll, I'll try to find the answer out for you. But what I noticed about Chuck more than anything was that he had a, a peace, a settledness about his life that I knew I didn't have. And, and, uh, and although nobody gets it right perfect all the, all the time, I noticed that his, his words matched his life. His walk and his talk were together. Well, in January of my senior year, Chuck decided he wanted to become a chiropractor, so he moved off to Atlanta, and I got laid off from parking cars. I mean, you got to work pretty hard to get laid off from parking cars, but I managed to do it. And in March of my senior year, I started working at a lumberyard. I'd go in from 6 to 10, Monday through Friday, p.m., and I'd put together pallets. And I hated it because it was hard work, but... And I was a lazy kid, but I liked the money, so I kept going back. I worked there for one month and got laid off. Saw a pattern developing in my life. I graduated from Fortson High School in June of 1981 with a 1.64 GPA average. I mean, that's a step above plant life when you think about it, right? But my problem wasn't, I, wasn't, it wasn't that I was dumb. I just, I just didn't care. I didn't care. So I literally had this thought after, after the graduation, I should probably get a job. And so I threw the cap and gown in the back of the gremlin and drove to the local Kmart, and I put an application in. A week later, Kmart and the lumberyard called on the same day, and they were both offering me full-time jobs. And the lumberyard guy said, it's got some benefits too. And I didn't know what that was, but it sounded good. And the pay was better at the lumber yard, but I thought, this was my thinking. I thought, that was hard work. I'll choose Kmart. And so I became the ladies' apparel stock clerk of the Dearborn Kmart. <laughs> I, I know, I'm aiming high, right? But what I didn't know about the Dearborn Kmart, the ladies' apparel department, was that it was $600,000 overstocked. 
It was ladies' 9.99 polyester pants and boxes and clothing in this little stockroom. It was a mess. But my boss, his name was Mark Mitchell. And Mark would spend time with me in, those, in the stockroom teaching me my job. And after about two or three days of working with him, I stopped him one day. I said, I said, Mark, how do you stay so calm in all of this? And I'll never forget his answer. He said, Andy, he said, I, I work real hard and I trust the Lord. I said, oh. I thought, another Christian like Chuck. I began to ask him questions about what that meant. He said he was a born-again believer that he had a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus. He gave me the same answers Chuck gave me. I thought this was a conspiracy. They've called each other about me. But the fact of the matter was they didn't know each other, but they did know the same Jesus. I worked there for about a month and a half or so, and I came to the place where I realized that I was a sinner. My problem was I loved my sin, and I was a sinner. And that Jesus died for me and rose again. And that I could be saved like Mark and Chuck and, and the man at the university. I could be saved. They said I could have what they have if I'll trust in Jesus. And so in the middle of July 1981, I knelt at the side of my bed where my mom still lives. And I didn't really even know how to pray, but I knew I needed Jesus. And I just said, Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I know I'm going because of it. Lord, I don't want to go there. Would you please save me? And God heard that immature prayer. And I got to tell you, I don't base my salvation on the emotion I felt in that moment. But I got to tell you, I was overwhelmed by the presence of God. I felt him come into my life. I began to weep these big old tears, but they weren't tears of sorrow. They were tears of joy. I felt the weight of the world go off my shoulders. And the next time I was, I was scheduled to work, I went and found Mark. I said, Mark, I gave my life to Jesus. He did a little dance right there in the ladies' apparel department. He got so excited. He said, you got to come to church with me. I said, okay, I want to. He said, okay, I go to Southfield Road Baptist Church. And that's how I became a Baptist. Now, I've looked into it a little bit since then. And I've always been grateful that God led me to a tribe of believers that believe this is the Word of God and who care about the souls of men and women and boys and girls. And that's how I became a believer in Jesus. And you know what? I wish I could say I've been faithful to God every step of the way since then. You'd know that wouldn't be true. But I found out about my God that He is faithful to me even when I'm not faithful to Him. That He's a loving Father and that every one of the sheep that Jesus has in the fold, He, he holds on to. He's not lost one, not one. If you're his, you're his forever. But if you're not his, you'll spend forever apart from him in a place called hell. And so as we finish this message and prepare our hearts for a time of invitation, I want to ask you, is there a place in, in your life where you know that's when I met Jesus? I'm not asking you, do you go to church? I'm not asking you, do you pray even? I'm asking, has there been a place and time in your life where you know, I got, I, I got on my knees or however it happened for you, but you repented of your sin and, and you asked Jesus to come into your heart and life. And when, when you finished that prayer, you were alive in Christ and you know it. Because when you're saved, you know it. Amen, you know it. Has there been that place for you? And if not, then, man, this is your morning right here, right now. I'm going to pray, and when I pray, and you're ready to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior, you pray something like, Lord Jesus, I'm turning from my sin. I believe you died for me on the cross. I believe you were raised to new life, and you sit at the right hand of the Father. I'm crying out to you, please save me. You, you put that in your own words. It's not really even the words, is it? If you're ready to trust Christ, the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Your forever can get changed in this moment. So when I pray, it's your turn. You just cry out to Jesus right where you're at. Jesus, save me. And if you make that decision, then I'm going to stand down front. There will be another deacon here. We, wanna, we want you to come forward. 
And we want you to tell this church, man, I've trusted in Christ as my Lord and Savior. Or maybe you're here and you're a believer and you've kind of been away from the Lord. Good news for you, if you, if you, were, if you were truly saved, I believe once saved, always saved. I think a better way to say it, though, is if saved, always saved. If, if you were saved, you're still saved. You can take a thousand steps away from the Lord, but it's always only one back because he's, fo- he's followed you every step of the way. And maybe you're, you're, you need, just need to repent and say, I need to get reconnected with Jesus and this church. Or maybe you're brokenhearted for a lost loved one or coworker or friend. I've got a, I've got a brother, one, one remaining brother. My, my other siblings are they're all gone. They're all dead. My brother passed, not saved yet. I pray for him every day. Maybe you've got someone like that in your life. Brother Dwayne wanted me to remind you that these ping pong balls are here. There's, there's white ones. If you want to write down the name of someone you're praying for, yellow one. Maybe you had a gospel conversation. Man, won't it be neat to see a bunch of yellow ones start to pop up in here? Or maybe someone was led to Christ. You, you got to be there when someone got saved. You, you could put a blue ping pong ball in there. Maybe that's what the Lord's going to lead you to do during this invitation time. But here's, here's what I would, I would say to you, just as I finish up here. Whatever the Lord's speaking to your heart about, don't delay. Delayed obedience is just what? It's just disobedience. So you move. As soon as we start singing, you move as the Lord leads this morning. Father in heaven, thank you for the Lord Jesus who came and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the one and only begotten of the Father who came full of grace and truth, who loved us all the way to the cross, who rose again and does sit at your very right hand. And in his name, Lord, we just pray that you would have complete sway in every heart in this room or or those watching this very moment. And Lord, I pray that people are responding to you and and trusting in Christ. And if we could see and hear with spiritual ears, we'd see chains and hear chains falling off of people's lives as they trust in Christ. Lord, I pray for brothers or sisters who are struggling hard with maybe an addiction or uh, some kind of place of unforgiveness. Lord, I pray that you'd set everybody free by the power of the Holy Spirit for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. And do it all for your glory, dear Lord, and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.